When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of the cool things about being in an aquarium hobby for most of your life is that you can look back at periods of time and consider the relative merits of some of the stuff you've done over the years. As a lifelong hobbyist, I've personally been through periods of time when I couldn't devote quite as much time to my beloved fish tanks as I would have liked, yet I always had one, whether it was fresh, salt, brackish, otherwise, it's just not a home unless you hear that reassuring popping of bubbles, the whirring of pumps, and beautiful reflections caused by the interplay of light and moving water. And of course, you know, spill some things here and there, forget about frozen food on the counter, the usual stuff, right? Of course, there were a number of times that for one reason or another, I simply let the tanks run themselves, save an occasional water change or filter media cleaning and of course you know regular feeding which was basically consisted of tossing in you know flakes or pellets or if i had some frozen food whatever it was that was in time largely the tanks sort of ran by themselves you know mother nature in control a particularly fond memory of this type of practice uh, comes from my high school years when i was seriously into breeding killifish in addition to keeping saltwater cichlids you know tetras and of course the usual high school pursuits of girls sports and socializing but i was into my fish and as a junior member of the American Killifish Association, I obtained a group of the classic so-called beginner's killi at the Plaidis de Gere Monrovia, and I was determined to breed these things. Not that it was a difficult task, but hey, I was like 15, you know, that's something that's a big, big deal for you. Of course, killies in general have a reputation for being just a bit of a challenge, requiring a little more careful, you know, feeding, care, and a fair measure of patience. As a bit of kid, as a bit of kid, I had a little patience, although. Um, probably more than the average high school guy, but not a ton, not like I do now. But I was really delighted to learn that these fishes were thought to fare better in permanent and more natural setups, which of course is fish geek code for set and forget. So of course I thought this species would be perfect for me for my busy lifestyle at the time. And I ultimately ended up with a pretty stable population of around 12 to 15 individuals in a tank I maintain pretty much all through high school. Ironically, the difficulties only started with this fish when I had time to really get into taking care of them and took a more in, more initiative and more control of the breeding. Of course, that's when I was never quite as successful, right? Um, more of an indictment of my lack of skill rather than any inherent issues with the fish, by the way. It's that age-old argument that hobbyists have about hands-on versus hands-off approaches. With our heavy emphasis on natural style materials and the kinds of you know aquariums that we play with, I can't help but think about the long-term uh, of their function and their health, specifically the changes that they go through as they evolve into little microcosms. Now, we're all about diligent, thoughtful maintenance of our aquariums, right? I mean, we spend a lot of time, money, and energy equipping our tanks with suitable gear, embracing excellent husbandry practices, and, and we just generally stay on top of everything. That's a part of being an engaged, responsible fish geek, right? So what happens to our tanks when we sort of, you know, let them go a bit? especially a botanical style blackwater aquarium with a deep leaf litter bed or lots of botanicals in play. Let's say we stop doing weekly water exchanges and slip to say once a month. Let's say we're about all we're doing is topping off for evaporation during that time, feeding fishes, and that's about it. 
what'll happen? Now think about it. There is no right or wrong answer here. It's all about how much you enjoy what actually happens in nature versus what you can control in your tank. Will all the botanical material continue to break down, keeping the water tinted? Will biofilms continue to colonize the open surfaces? Will water chemistry swing wildly? Will phosphate and nitrate accumulate rapidly? Will the aquarium just descend into utter chaos? How much more will things change by simply delaying water exchanges for several weeks? By not siphoning detritus at all, will this really become sort of a problem? Or will bacteria, fungal growths, and other microorganisms and crustacean life living in our botanical substrates continue to do what they do, breaking down organic waste and reproducing? Remember, we talk so much about the idea of a botanical-style aquarium acting like a small ecosystem. I can't help but wonder if a botanical-style aquarium can better handle a period of benign neglect than many tropical systems. Not that I want to do this, mind you. I'm a fairly diligent maintenance guy. I like my weekly water exchanges or whatever. But I can't help but share it, like how nominally these fishes act when we let nature take its course for a while. Yeah, really. In test systems that I've set up deliberately uh, and intentionally, you know, for the purpose of intentionally neglecting them by conducting sporadic water exchanges, once I hit my you know, preferred population of botanicals by building up gradually, I've never noticed significant phosphate or nitrate increases that could be attributed to their presence. These biological yardsticks for water quality are pretty significant in my opinion. It's also important to consider that the breakdown of botanical materials if left in your system, can be utilized by the animals and plants. Yeah, this is particularly important in the context of, you know, planted botanical style blackwater aquariums as well, too. But allowing plants, fishes, shrimp, and bacteria the chance to utilize the decomposing botanicals in their life cycle is an important part of the game. Being overly fastidious about siphoning out every speck of dirt or botanical materials that breaks down is, in my opinion, overkill. And it can be just as detrimental as, you know, not doing enough. And nature sort of strikes a balance, doesn't she? I think that's part of the beauty of nature. Nature thrives on efficiency. When you're adding botanicals to a tank, you're not just doing aquascaping, you're laying down the groundwork for the biological operating system of your aquarium. And as such, you need to think big picture here. That functional aesthetics thing again, right? If you think about it, these materials also function as a substrate, a fuel of sorts for the growth of beneficial bacteria, biofilms, and other microorganisms within the aquarium. In my opinion and my experience, when added gradually and methodically, you can look at all this stuff as the biological power station for your tank, supporting a population of organisms which serve to break down the more toxic compounds and substances via the nitrogen cycle. I personally think it's sort of analogous to the use of live rock in a reef aquarium. Live rock is considered an essential component of a reef aquarium because it serves as the aforementioned biological filtration substrate for the colonization of billions of nitrifying bacteria. And I think that's something I'd like to see more of uh, as far as serious research in our sector because, why? Because I think there's something there. I have no idea what put me onto this, of course, but I'm still preoccupied with this idea of tanks run amok. Well, sort of. I think it's a matter of how you look at it. To let things go to some extent is simply considered bad technique or laziness on the part of the owner by most hobbyists. Laziness? Well, in what way? Uh, so you have a plant that did so well that it grew to massive proportions and took over the tank because it was, well, happy. And we call it laziness? Someone did something, provided some means for the life forms to grow like they did. I'd say that's doing something right. 
Now, granted, that's a little bit of an optimistic thing, and really, I think it's kind of a symbolic success in some fashion, really. I mean, you've got a plant or groups of them that are so happy that they're literally growing into a jungle. Why is this a bad thing? Is it because it's not healthy for the life forms residing in the tank? Is it bad because we didn't apply some manicuring or control to it? Or is it because we somehow feel it represents a rejection of the accepted notion of how to do things? Planted aquariums and botanical style aquariums have a lot in common, I think. I believe that both types of aquariums are quite capable of operating themselves for periods of time. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I guess um, a lot of it had to do with just reassessing how planted aquariums have been practiced over the years, looking back at it, Mono's stuff, uh, listening to uh, podcasts of my friend George Farmer, uh, and really thinking about how we're developing little ecosystems. That's a different approach than a lot of planted tank aquarists take. But it's really important. And again, I don't offer this up as an idea to, uh, you know, to invite invite you to neglect your aquariums. Rather, I share this as sort of a testament to the remarkable elegance and durability of well thought out aquariums to function adeptly as miniature closed ecosystems. It's part of my larger philosophy of planning and constructing aquariums to facilitate natural biological functions. I don't usually say this, but I think taking this mindset is the best approach to aquarium keeping. In other words setting them up to function adeptly as miniature closed ecosystems. That's really important. There are many ways to set up an aquarium to operate successfully as a miniature ecosystem. Many planted aquarium hobbyists have knowingly or perhaps unknowingly been doing this for some time when they build up proper substrates and nutrients and so forth. With botanical style aquariums, I believe that we can replicate, at least on a basic level, the natural process of the creation of food webs. We've talked about this before here, haven't we? It's an idea that we've played with uh, in a number of times in the botanical style aquarium front, if you recall. Last year, um, and I've talked about this a lot, I know, uh, I constructed an aquarium which the entire structure consisted of about an inch and a half, which is about a little under four centimeters, of live oak leaf litter, a few oak twigs, and that was it. Uh, fine sprinkling of sand, like uh, 0.635 centimeters, which is like a quarter of an inch, uh, covered the bottom of the aquarium. And I know that's not groundbreaking, but it was interesting. I I used a live oak leaf litter because it's one of the more diverse products that we work with. It has a lot of stuff besides just leaves. It has bits of terrestrial soils, dried mosses, small twigs, even some types of other small leaves and weeds and stuff. It's a very rich media, a very fertile media upon which to build an active dynamic aquatic ecosystem in the aquarium. You could just as easily use any of the more popular leaves like red mangrove, jackfruit, catapa, etc. Anyway, the point is, much like in nature, if properly conceived and populated with an initial population of live food sources or set up to facilitate the proliferation of these natural food sources, I believe that an aquarium can be configured to create a productive, biologically sustainable system, requiring little to no supplemental input as far as food on the part of the aquarist to function successfully for extended periods of time. Of course, it's significantly different than a natural, fully open system in many ways. I know this. And it's not revolutionary. You know, this is not a revolutionary statement or pronunciation or some breakthrough in the art of aquarium keeping. No, no, no. It's just an idea, like so many we encourage here, that replicates some aspects of natural aquatic ecosystems. The real key here is that the pace and an understanding of the materials that we add need to be added and replaced at a pace that makes sense for your specific system. And an understanding that you'll have a front row seat to sort of a natural process the processes of decomposition, transformation, decay, and then an acceptance that they're part of the beauty of this style aquarium, just like they are in nature. The natural botanical style aquarium is so 
interesting to me because of the enormous opportunity that we all have to execute aquariums based on the function of natural habitats. Functions which, although they look, look different from anything that we've ever done before, may just unlock the keys to many new aquarium discoveries. And it just takes a little bit of letting go. Letting go of rigid preconceptions. Letting go of fears about what-if scenarios. Letting go of control of every aspect of operating our aquariums. Incorporating and embracing all of these elements into our botanical style aquarium practice is foundational in my opinion. Yeah, it's indicative of another mental shift we have to make, I suppose, but one in which many of you have already made, no doubt. So just let go a little bit. Stay bold, stay observant, stay creative, stay engaged, stay relaxed, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the Tannin.